0: Jesus is Lord, and I will follow Him. Jesus is Lord, and I follow Him. Jesus is Lord, and I follow Him. Jésus est Seigneur, je le suis. Yes was was you you the Jesus wa shu, wa shu ni Jesus ist der Herr und ich folge ihm. Jesus es señor y yo lo sigo. Jesus ist der Herr und ich gang mit ihm. Jesus hai zhu, Ik Christus cartabagenu ianavena anogemiken Salamun Yesus huwa Rab Yeish ye ban yes, amen jeho jake Isa masih Khodaye azba arma pedekem Dear Jesus is Heer ik volg hem I bet you that video is a lot better the second time around with sound. <laughs> and let me tell you, the Holy Spirit's more reliable than technology, so just be, you know, rest easy. Listen, let me follow that up with this great poem by Malcolm Geit. Uh, I will try to do justice to his poem. Uh, it's simply called Pentecost. Today we feel the wind beneath our wings. Today the hidden fountain flows. And plays. Today, the church draws breath at last and sings, as every flame becomes a tongue of praise. This is the feast of fire, air, and water, poured out and breathed and kindled into earth. The earth herself awakens to her maker, translated out of death and into birth. The right words come today in their right order, and every word spells freedom and release. Today the gospel crosses every border. All tongues are loosened by the Prince of Peace. Today the lost are found in his translation, whose mother tongue is love in every nation. God, I thank you for the gift of your Spirit who makes you known to us and through whom we can know you, do know you, abide in you. God, thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, it is the Feast of Pentecost in the Christian calendar, the beginning of the church, and we're going to pivot. And uh, I have a friend in Grand Prairie who's an elementary school teacher. I was talking to her last week, and she said... If somebody tells me to pivot one more time, I'm going to punch them. (laughs) But here we are, we're going to pivot in our preaching series. So, uh, you know, just a shout out to my friend up north. Um, So, we've been following this narrative of the scriptural story. And here we're going to switch now from Jesus, the story of Jesus, to the story of the church um, and pay attention. But it's important that we begin the story where the story of the church begins. It's easy to just start thinking, well, what did the church do? What should we do? What should we be about? When in fact, we just need to pause for a moment and pay attention to where the story begins. So let me read the scripture from Pentecost. You've heard it or you read it on the screen. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak other languages as the Spirit enabled them. And that's what we tried in some small way to show you with that video. and It was excellent, and thank you for all of those who participated in that. The coming of the Holy Spirit Uh, births the church and it allowed the early believers, the early followers of Jesus to speak in all the languages of the people that happened to be in Jerusalem during the Feast of Pentecost. And it's key that we get this. The church begins with God. Not me. Not you. The church begins with God on this Feast of Pentecost. Now, depending on what church traditions you've been attached to over the years, you might know a lot about the Holy Spirit. You might know virtually nothing about the Holy Spirit. Or you may have heard some things and have been confusing to you. Or you may have had heard some things that later on in life you're like, I don't know, that doesn't sound quite right. So I'm going to just put on my teacher hat, right? And uh, I want to just walk you through. So it might even be helpful if you grab a pen as a, you know, a student. Uh, and follow along, I'm going to have seven points, all right? So this is, breaks all the laws or rules of preaching. I'm just going to do a little Holy Spirit 101, okay? Let's just kind of get familiar with what this story, or maybe even better said, who this story is about. I'm going to say a few things about who the Holy Spirit is, and then we'll talk about some implications this morning on that, and they're significant. And then next week, we'll do Holy Spirit 102 which is sort of like the second part, and we'll talk a little bit about how the Holy Spirit works, what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, Just sort of, some of this will be very familiar to you. Some of it, less so. So, let's just dive in. If you have a pen, it might be helpful. Jot these words down. Uh, If you don't, just, you know, try and stick with me. I'll, I'll walk you through this as best I can. The first thing I want to say about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit descends on the early followers of Jesus is that the biblical authors, and I mean the biblical authors, so Old Testament and New Testament, understand that the Spirit of God is God. The Holy Spirit is a manifestation of who God is or, or the person of God. In other words, the Holy Spirit is divine. Now, there's no one text that says the Holy Spirit is God, you sort of have to read it through and around the stories and sort of piece it together a little bit, but the stories sort of certainly point this direction. So think of the creation story, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, and the Spirit of God uh, involved in the very creation of the universe and the creation of humanity. Uh, You fast forward a lot, and I'm jumping over all kinds of things, but you fast forward to the baptism of Jesus. And Jesus the Son is baptized, and a voice comes out of heaven, and the dove, the Holy Spirit, descends upon Jesus. They're all three present in that moment. And this actually gets um, echoed out or sort of like ripples out into uh, blessings in the early church. So Paul, for instance, as he closes his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter that we have, he says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And he's joining what in the biblical story we see is joined. Uh, God is triune, a, a divine community of beings united in love. And You know, the Trinity is mysterious and complicated, and and, uh, I'm not going to get into it, (laughs) uh, the little that I know. But this summer, we are going to have a a sermon, one sermon on the Trinity, and why it matters, and it does matter. So stay tuned. But just for now, the piece I want you to lift out is that the biblical authors are pretty clear that the Spirit of God is God. The Spirit is divine, okay? First thing I want to say about the Holy Spirit. The second piece I'd like to just lift out, and this is, I think, where some Christians get a little, um, we just kind of get a little bit sort of muddled in our thinking, is the Holy Spirit is personal. Okay? The Hebrew word, I can't pronounce it, ruach, to have that glutteral sound, <laughs> ruach, or the Greek term uh, pneuma, means wind or breath. And the Bible Project, guys, you can look at their little video on Holy Spirit. They do a great job of explaining that. So uh, link to that on our website. But um, the idea of God's breath, I and mean, this comes up back in the creation story, right? God breathes into humanity, and they, come, they, they become animated and alive. And later on, again, you fast forward this, to the story of Jesus. And after the resurrection, Jesus is gathered with his disciples And if you read the story in John, he breathes on them the Holy Spirit, right? This idea of breath or wind. The problem with it, though, where our thinking gets a little bit muddied is in our English language, breath and wind is is neuter. It's like it's an it. It's it's an inanimate thing. And we can get the thinking that the Spirit is inanimate, non-personal, which is a lot more actually like Star Wars. Here you go. May the force be with you, right? You know this. That was a good prop, right? Uh, the spirit is not like the force in Star Wars, okay? Not the same thing, right? We're not because of metachlorians and all of that weird stuff. Don't get me started on the spirit in Star or the force. The Holy Spirit is personal. Uh, the best text, or at least a text, uh, that I'd like to read to you on this is John chapter 14. Uh, it'll be on the screen here, I think, for you. John chapter 14, starting in at verse 15. Jesus speaking, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. It's a great text. There's so much that could be talked about here. Let me just lift out this word advocate. Um, Variously, it's the Greek word here, paraclete, variously translated in English translations as counselor, advocate, Comforter helper, it's really hard to sort of imagine any of those words not being personal Right and the the personal pronouns don't get hung up on him. It's not saying that the Holy Spirit's male It's Saying the Holy Spirit's personal All right The Holy Spirit is divine he is God The Holy Spirit is personal Just like God is personal, right? This will come out, uh, we know this, but it'll come out in spades as we talk about the Trinity and why that matters. The Holy Holy Spirit is personal. So that'd be the second thing I'd want to say. Divine, personal, uh, so not the force in Star Wars, right? Get that image out of your head. Third thing I'd want to say in this text or in this introduction to the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is present present here with us in us again the text speaks to that Um, in the past God spoke to the people of Israel through mediators people like Moses and later on the law itself became sort of a, a revealer of who God was to the people of God but then Jesus came or then God came near in the person of Jesus but then Jesus leaves, and notice what he says to you. He says, I will not leave you alone. I will not leave you like orphans, but I will send another who will be with you, who will be in you. I will dwell within you. The Holy Spirit here is present. In the Acts text, we read the story of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit descends. Peter goes on to preach a sermon, and he quotes from the prophet Joel, and he says, in these last days... This has been prophesied by Joel, it's been envisioned by him, by the prophet, that God would pour out his spirit on his people. The New Testament writers variously describe the Christian life as life in Christ or life in the spirit, and they seem to use those two phrases somewhat interchangeably. Paul takes it even one step further, maybe to its logical end, when he's writing to his Corinthian friends, where he says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he both applies it individually. You, your body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the place where the Spirit of God dwells. And he applies it corporately. You all. Plural, the church. When you gather, you, plural, are the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. Right? God, by His Spirit, is present to His people. All right? So, divine, personal, present. And the last thing I'll say in this little introduction is the Holy Spirit is mysterious. Okay, and we don't. I think as Westerners, as sort of semi-moderns, or maybe even sort of drifting toward postmodern, but we're still somewhat modern, rational thinkers. We don't like that. I think we like to have things all in their boxes and be able to. And but Jesus is clear when he's talking to Nicodemus, who also liked things in their boxes as a Pharisee, and Jesus says, "You know, neck, 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 neck. You're sort of missing it here." And he talks about the spirit being like the wind, and the wind blows wherever it pleases in John chapter 3. The wind blows wherever it pleases. Or when God reveals himself to Moses all those years back um, at the burning bush, and Moses is like, well, who are you, Lord? And God's name, very instructive here. I am who I am. Not, by the way, I am who you want me to be, <laughs> or I am whoever you want to fit into your neat little boxes. I am who I am. Right? God isn't controlled by me, or manipulated by me, or confined by me, or defined, or defined by me fully. We can know God, to be sure. And that's part of what the Holy Spirit does. And we'll explore that some more next week. But Make no mistake, the Spirit of God is mysterious. This is God we're talking about. And this idea that we can be experts in the things of God, I think is a little bit, um, I don't know, I think it's a bit silly, actually. We're all beginners, and we might be sort of a bit more, sort of a step ahead of other beginners or whatever, but it's not really about being ahead. We're just all beginners in this journey, which is part of why God gives us His Spirit to draw us into relationship, to draw us into His truth. Okay, again, I'm getting ahead of myself. Next week's stuff. All right, so the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit 101, I'm not saying everything, I'm just saying four things, sort of base level things. The Holy Spirit is divine. The Holy Spirit is personal, not an it, a force, but a personal, it's a, it's a, it reveals a personal God. The Holy Spirit is present, and yet the Holy Spirit remains mysterious, somewhat beyond me, okay? Now, at this point, I'd say you're tracking with me, and I'd see you nod your heads, but sort of nod your head kind of to the TV screen, you know, yeah. I hope you're with me, Okay? Let's talk for a moment about the implications of this, all right? So it's not just sort of this sort of vague uh, theoretical, theological stuff that's out there, but let's land this for a moment. Why does this matter? And I'm going to suggest to you it matters a lot. I'm going to give you three things, all right? So I had four points on who the Holy Spirit is. Now here's three implications that I just want you to sit with. The first is this. You are not alone. Okay, hear that. You are not alone. In the person of Jesus, God came near. It's even one of Jesus' names, Emmanuel, God with us. But the person of Jesus, at least in his embodied form, has ascended... To heaven and then you're like well Jesus you've left remember what he said to his disciples put on the glasses again I will not leave you as orphans but I will come to you and he sends the spirit we're not alone now I'm aware because I've lived in the same culture you have this past year I've lived the same realities you have this past year This past year has felt really isolating at times, and some of you have felt very, very alone. Or you've had experiences that have been really difficult, and it's been hard to journey with others in those experiences because it's hard to gather and all of that. But friends, hear this, please. Jesus says, I have not left you alone. The Holy Spirit The very presence of God is with you, in you. Right? That is huge if you think about it. If you just stop and realize that the God of the universe, Father, Son, and Spirit, the triune God of love, is with you. Closer than the air you breathe. First implication. The second thing I will say, I'll pick out the phrase, honor the body. The fact that Paul, when he writes through the Corinthians, says that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, he refers both individually and corporately. But let's just pick up the corporate image, like the church is the is the dwelling place of the holy spirit the fact that that is the case that that is the truth should radically affect how you treat one another radically affect right the fact that god dwells within the gathered church and i know that the gathered church is kind of a bit it sort of has sort of a weird shape right now with COVID and online and all of that but the fact that we are a community And God dwells within us the response to this friends is that you should take off your shoes you should be silent you are on holy ground but often what happens is we just complain and grumble right about the church but the church friends is holy it is the dwelling place of God and in a fractured world that so quickly polarizes around issues and grumbles and complains, and I'm being polite. Sometimes the words that are said and spoken are asinine. Can you imagine if the church was the one place where instead of speaking like that, we take off our shoes and we worship God together? The fact that God dwells in our midst should radically shape how we treat one another. Jesus, in an earlier statement, says, this is how people will know that you're my followers, by how you love one another, how we interact with each other, how we speak to each other, how we speak about each other. Because God is in our midst what a profound witness to a fractured world that would be, right? We don't need to all get along in the sense we don't all have to agree on every jot and tittle. But we can treat each other with profound respect and grace and love and forgiveness. In this series on the church, we're going to look at specific churches, Antioch and Philippi and, uh, and the, the church in, in, in Colossae, uh, the Colossian church. And when Paul writes to the Colossian church, this is actually what he says. He tells them to bear with one another and to forgive each other and to be patient and loving and kind and compassionate. And the foundation for all of that is because you are the temple of the Spirit. You are the holy dwelling place of God. I can have a whole other sermon on this next, this is all sort of part of the point around honoring the body, but it does have profound implications about your own body and how you treat it and how you act and live in the world. This is Paul's, actual his, his point, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I think, where he talks about your body, singular, you are the temple of God's spirit, and he links that to actions. <laughs> and he says, therefore, you shouldn't do certain things. Because your body is holy. And I'm just going to leave that as an implication for you to sort out a little bit and to think about. And to allow God's spirit to sort of percolate in you. But this has profound implications not only how we treat the church, talk about the church, participate in the church, guard the unity of the church. This has profound implications in how we live within our body. Because you are temple of God's Spirit. You are holy. All right, second implication. I told you these were big. You can spend all week, and I hope you might spend some time this week unpacking this. Third, implica- third implication, last implication here. Uh, I'm going to pick up the phrase, not by might. That by itself doesn't make much sense. But our... Our invitation, our call, our challenge to follow the way of Jesus doesn't depend on our might, our strength. What I mean by this is there's a version of Christianity that I think I, I grew up with, and I think many of us sort of subscribe to. We don't really say it this way, but I think we have internalized it this way. And it goes something like this You're a Christian. And as a Christian, you should pray. And then you kind of look at your life, and you're like, yeah, I probably should pray more. And you know that you're called to patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and uh, being loving, and being forgiving. And then you look at your life, and think, ah, I'm not very much any of those things. So you try you know, kind of pull up your own socks a little bit. Like, get with the program, right? What you need to do is try again, and what you need to do is try harder. Alright? It's, it's what we've been informed by here. I was thinking about this before the service. We've been informed by, I would say, the North American hero story. And the North American hero story is you can be from anywhere in the world, and you could land on North American shores, and if you work hard enough, you'll be successful. Right? It's sort of kind of the American dream. And, you know, by your own hard work and initiative and entrepreneurship, you can start a business, you can be successful, you can live in a big house, and you can just have stuff. And, and, and I'm telling you, that has informed how we think about the Christian life. That we think, boy, if I just try a little harder to be patient, if I just pray a little bit more, that's surely what God wants. I just got to pull up my own socks. I'll get there on my own. And friends, I want to tell you, that's a North American story, not a biblical story. Okay the biblical story is not a hero story at least the hero in the story isn't you or me Okay we're not the center of the story God as you look at scripture chooses unlikely people like you and me And the point is he breathes his spirit into us and animates us Right this is Ezekiel's vision of of the dead bones lying in the valley and he's like and God saying like can, can these Ezekiel, can these bones live? And like, Ezekiel's like, I don't know. And God says, Watch this. And he breathes into them, and it all comes to life. And it is God's spirit in us that animates us, that fills us, that strengthens us. It's not by our might. Keep in mind that all those things they said about being loving and patient and kind and gentle, those are fruits of the spirit, (laughs) not fruits of Renus the fruit of the Spirit at work within me as I allow the Spirit of God to transform me and make me more gentle and kind and forgiving. Zechariah 4.6, passage you probably have seen somewhere along the way. The word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. Friends, we've got to discard, and this is good news, I think. <laughs> Here it is good news, because I think it is. We need to discard this, this version of Christianity says that it all depends on you. It doesn't. Now, you, you're a part of the story, okay? God wants to walk with you and me. He wants to walk with us. Okay, we're not eliminated of the, out of the story. God is a deep respecter of the human person. But God is at work. And one of, this is a profound implication. And maybe I'm harping on this point because I need to hear it. Because I fall, this is where I fall short almost every time. Because I think it all depends on me. And friends, it just doesn't. Okay? It just doesn't. The Spirit of God is within you and will help you and give you strength. We'll unpack this all a little bit more next week, but we will help you and give you strength to live the life God calls you to. And so the practice this week is the same as the practice last week where we talked about Jesus' invitation to rest. And I said, really, the practice is for you just to turn toward Jesus and say, yes. And the practice this week is very similar. You turn toward the Holy Spirit and just say yes. Open your life to the Holy Spirit. The one who desires, who does already dwell within you. And say yes. And allow God's Spirit to begin to transform you, to shape you, to give you strength and courage to be everything God has called you to be.